So we've been talking about fixer-uppers, right? You know those houses that uh, you look at and you say, oh, it's it's got great bones, I love the style, it's in the right location, but man, it really needs some work. We believe that, that we are fixer-uppers, that, that our hearts, we, we've got great bones. We're created in the image of God, but we need some work. If we're being really honest, I mean, we look into the, the corners of our heart and we know we, we really need some work. So that's what we've been talking about. We talked the first week about investing and how do you know how much you should invest in your heart and getting things right. Last week we talked about the importance of having a good foundation. So if you missed that one, uh, really important that you go back and grab the, the message from last week about having a, building on a, a strong foundation for your heart. And today we're gonna talk about the gut job. You know the gut job is when you, you walk into this room and you just know nothing in here is worth saving. Like it all needs to go. The furniture, the flooring, the, the walls, the drywall, everything's gotta go. We gotta gut it to the studs. I think that's a phrase they use. I just hang around with people who know this stuff. I don't actually know this stuff. So uh, my wife and I decided to update our bathroom uh, a month or so ago. And so uh, this is what it looked like. It wasn't terrible, but it probably hadn't been updated in 30 years. And so we just thought, we're just going to freshen it up. You know, the, the tub surround, we knew had some problems. We were going to get rid of that. And we, we planned three days. We're going to do this over the weekend. Knock it out, we'll be done. Yeah, you people who have done this kind of stuff, you know that's silly. So um, we, we, we got into the project, we took the tub surround off, and we saw mold, like just <laughs> everywhere. It was gross. Uh, and so we thought, okay, all of that's got to go. Then we started taking the tile down off the walls and realized, can't take the tile down without destroying the drywall behind us. We're like, all that's got to go. And so this three-day tur- project turned into 30 days, and the $500 we had uh, set aside to spend turned into $100. And uh, we, we just ended up almost gutting this whole room to the studs because once we got into it, we realized this stuff is not what we want. It's not worth saving. When we think about what this finished product is going to look like, all this stuff has got to go. It's got to go. And I, I believe that there are rooms like that in your heart and in my heart well, when we have the courage to walk in, to open that door, we just kind of go, ugh, that, there's nothing good in here. This is all bad. It's junk. It, it's, it's, it's destructive. It's smelly. It needs to go. But sometimes what we do is we just shut the door and walk away. Because we know in order to fix all of this, it's just going to take too much work. It's going to cost too much. I don't think I want to go through all the work of cleaning that room out. And so we end up with stuff in our hearts that's destructive, that, that causes damage, that you can't just slap a coat of paint on and make everything okay. And it, and it just stays there, and it continues to fester and, and, and create destruction. It destroys relationships and causes us to make bad decisions. And so how, how do we do that? How do we find the courage? Or, or, or is it even important? Is it okay just to leave those rooms alone? Well, we're going to uh, look at a passage of Scripture today that I hope will clarify this for us. If you would turn to Hebrews chapter 12, we'll jump right in. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen, or there's a, a link to the Bible on your app, if you have the app. The book of Hebrews is uh, great. Uh, one of the things I, I think is unique and I, I enjoy about it is that we don't actually know who wrote it. 
most of the other books of the Bible, we, we know who wrote these. We can put some context to it and we can say, okay, this was written by Paul. We, we kind of know Paul and what kind of person he was. Or this was written by John and we, we know John hung out with Jesus. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. So we kind of have to do some investigating to really figure out what's going on here. What you can tell just from reading through the book once is this person is Jewish and they know a lot about the Jewish Faith about the sacrificial system and the high priestly system and all of this stuff. They, they know their Old Testament history backwards and forwards. In fact, in the chapter right before this one, in, in chapter 11, we have this list of heroes of the faith. If you go back through there, and it says things like, hey, remember the faith of Abraham? Abraham was awesome. You remember Moses? Remember the faith of Moses? Remember David? Remember the faith of David? And it gives us whole, this whole list of all these, these heroes of the faith who put their faith in a promise that they never got to see realized. The writer of Hebrews tells us that these people, Abraham and Moses and David, lived hundreds of years before Jesus, but their faith was in Jesus. They believed that Jesus was coming that someone was coming who was going to make everything right and unite us with God, and they put their faith in that. They died for that faith, and they never actually got to see Jesus. So when he starts out chapter 12, after that whole roll call of the faithful, and he, he says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he's talking about all of these heroes of faith that came before, and he said, these people, Moses and Abraham and Joseph and Jacob, these people are watching you. It's like you're in an arena living out your faith, and they're in the stands and they are cheering you on. Can, can you picture that? King David cheering you on and going, oh, you got this. I can't wait to see how you and God figure this out. Like, I, I'm for you. I'm on your side. That's the picture that we get in, in verse one here. We have this great cloud of witnesses that is cheering for us to live out our faith. And this is what it looks like. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God these heroes of the faith are cheering us on and what we're supposed to be doing is running a race we're supposed to be moving speedily in the direction of a specific target, and that target is Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You were created to run to Jesus. That's what you were made for. But he says, we've got some stuff holding us back. He said, you're, you're trying to run like you're carrying a bunch of weights. I don't know if you can visualize that, just in case you can't. I found this commercial. Maybe you've seen this Geico. I think it's Geico. Usually if they're weird, they're Geico. Um, so you've got this guy that's going to run this race holding this barbell over his head. And we watch this, and the reason why it's good advertising is because you remember this, because you watch this and you go, that's just silly. That's just ridiculous. Nobody can do that. Obviously, he's not really carrying weight. It's made out of foam or something because you can't run hurdles with the weight over your head. So that's what this writer is saying that we're trying to do, that if, if you're trying to run your race toward Jesus, but there's sin in your life, it's like you're trying to run a race carrying this big barbell over your head. You, you can't do it. You're not going to get very far, and you're not going to go very fast. You're not going to get to your target. He says, that's what you're trying to do, and he's talking about sin. So today we're going to talk about sin. I know you're excited. You were all hoping that you would come here today, and somebody would tell you how sinful you are, and that you need to clean up your act, weren't you? No? Well, you're, you're welcome. Here it comes. So... Um, the Bible talks about sin in two different ways, and uh, 
the goal of this passage is to get on the other side. We're, we're not really here to talk about sin. We're talking about what's on the other side of that, but we got to go through it first, okay? So one of the main ways the Bible talks about sin, two big categories, is sin as a power. This is like capital S, sin. And the power of sin holds us captive. So if you can imagine a birdcage <laughs> sitting here uh, with a quiet bird, uh, on the table. Birds were created to do what? What makes them unique in the animal kingdom? To fly. Birds were created to fly, but you put a bird in a cage and suddenly it cannot do what it was made to do. It's impossible for the bird to do what it was created to do and specifically gifted to do. It can't do it in a cage. This is exactly what the power of sin does in the life of a human being. We were created to run this race to Jesus, to live life with our Savior. And the power of sin makes this impossible. It makes it impossible because God is holy and God and sin don't go together. And as long as the power of sin is what's ruling our lives and keeping us in a cage, we cannot interact with and be with God. But, thankfully, there's an answer. Just like this bird cannot get out of the cage by itself, we can't overcome the power of sin on our own. And God knows this, so he did it for us. Check out Romans chapter 6. In this passage, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to these Christians in Rome, and he's reminding them. These are things they've heard before, but he's saying, these are so important, you need to hear this again. So he's telling them about baptism. He starts off talking about baptism in the first few verses of this chapter, and then he gets to verse 5, and he says, For if we have been united with him, that is Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. He's saying like in baptism, it's like when you die to your sin and when you come up out of the water, it's like you rose from the dead and you have a brand new life. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The whole point of the death of Jesus was to set us free from this cage of sin. Four, one who has died has been set free from sin. If you have put your trust in Jesus, if you have said, Jesus, my life is yours because I know the only way, the only way for me to receive what I was created to receive, to live the way I was created to live is to go through Jesus. And you've given your life to Christ, you are free. The doors of your cage have been thrown wide open and you are free. Let's continue, verse seven. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, if you are walking around letting the power of sin run your life, acting as though there's nothing you can do about it, I'm only human, I'm sinful, and sin is my master. If you're walking around like that, then you have not actually trusted Jesus and his death to pay for your sin. And he said, if, if you've given your life to Christ, count yourself dead to sin. The power of sin no longer has mastery over you. You are free. You are not a slave to sin any longer. Paul continues this conversation. If that kind of sparks something and you want to read more about that, just keep reading right on through chapter 6, 7, 8. He talks a lot more about that. That's the power of sin. And the, the solution to the power of sin is to trust Jesus' death and resurrection to set you free. That's it. It, it really is that simple. 
This is not a complicated gospel that Jesus came to preach to us. It's very simple. You have a sin problem. You're a slave to sin, and the only way forward is for me to set you free. So guess what? I did it. I set you free. Just give your life to Christ, and you're free. So capital S, sin, the power of sin that puts us in a cage. We turn to Jesus, and he sets us free. The other way the Bible talks about sin, and this is the way most of us usually think when we hear sin is the sinful habits, the things that you do that are bad, right? That's kind of the, the second way. And this is what the Hebrews writer is talking about when he says, you, gotta, you got sin that's entangling you. It's tripping you up. It's like you're trying to run this race wearing a parka or something. You, this is getting in the way. It's preventing you from running to Jesus and making progress and going at speed. You just can't do it because of the sinful behavior in your life. These are, these are the things that, that we, we look at in, in, in other people. You can see it in other people a lot better than you can see it in yourself, right? Pride and insecurity, you can spot that in other people. You probably don't have a problem with it, but you can see it in others, right? Gossip, you know gossip when you hear it, as long as it's not coming out of your mouth, then it's fine. You're just sharing news and information, right? You're just passing things on. This is sinful behavior. These are the things that we're talking about. So... Before we, we can really deal with this, we need to understand why it's a problem. We need to understand why it's a problem. So we have to ask this question, why is sin, sin? Why is it, why is it sinful to lie? My, I, I think when I was growing up, the way I was taught and raised is to say, the answer to that question is because the Bible says so, right? It's wrong to lie because the Bible says so. Why is it wrong to gossip? Well, because the Bible says so. Why, why is it wrong uh, to cheat, to steal, to murder, to commit adultery? Well, those are in the Ten Commandments. It's wrong because the Bible says so. Well, here's the problem with that. Sometimes we run up against things that are going to slow us down in our walk that the Bible doesn't actually say anything about. And sometimes we find justifications for things to say that when the Bible said so, it didn't mean this. It didn't mean this kind of lie. It meant the big lie, not the little lie. And we, we use the Bible says so to kind of justify our own behavior. But the actual reason why sin is sin is not because the Bible says so. Jesus gave us one law in following him. It actually sounds like two, but it's really one. What's the greatest commandment in the law, he was asked. And his answer was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. And the reason why sin is sin is because it prevents you from doing those two things. The reason why it's wrong to lie is because lying is not loving to yourself or your neighbor, and it's not honoring to God. That's why it's wrong. Not because the Bible says so. The reason why the Bible says so is because it's not loving, and you can't honor God that way. The reason why gossip is wrong is because it's not loving to the people in your world, the people that you're talking about. The reason why stealing and cheating and murder and adultery, the reason why these things are wrong, it's not just because the Bible says so. It's because it's not loving. It prevents you from being the person that God created you to be. It's a weight that holds you down. And you can't do what you're created to do. So uh, I need uh, some help with uh, another object lesson. And my, my guy left. Zach, would you come up and help me for just a second? Yes. Zach, just come up here for a second. Yeah, you're... Yeah. I'm looking at you, buddy. How you doing, man? Hey, everybody, this is Zach. 
a good friend of mine. Would you come down here? And uh, I want to ask you to stand right over here. And then just, yeah, facing this way. And can you jump up on that box with both feet? Just jump up there. It's not going to break. There you go. Perfect. Okay. Not too hard, right? Uh, I want you to step back down. I want you to grab one of those cinder blocks. Cinder blocks. In each hand. (laughs) Grab one in each hand. Sorry, that was terrible. Uh, Now, do you think... Let's slide this over because... There's a lot of disaster that can happen. Oh, yeah. Do you think that you could jump up on the box holding those bricks? Now, do I have to yeah. like this? Or yeah. No, you can't step. You got to jump. Now, <laughs> if you think you're going to hurt yourself, don't do this. Do you think you can do it? I'll try it. Oh, I'm so nervous. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, close, close, close. All right, you can set those down because I really don't want you to die or... <laughs> be maimed for life. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. He got close. He got close. Uh, the, the point was, I didn't think he would be able to do it at all, <laughs> honestly. So uh, he's, he's clearly stronger than me because I tried it and I can't do it. I, I can't. I can't hold those blocks and jump up on this uh, box. It's, it's impossible for me because I'm, I'm not strong enough. That's not the way I was built. And when we try to run our race toward Jesus while we're carrying around sinful habits that we've just decided it's not that big a deal, the Bible didn't really say I can't do this. It's not hurting anybody but me. We try to run our race to Jesus carrying this stuff around. It's not working out. It's not happening. So what, how do we deal with this sinful behavior? We have to acknowledge it for what it is. That sin is sin, not just because the Bible says so, but because it prevents me from loving God and loving others. And so it's, it's just, I, I got to get rid of it. It's holding me back. It's weighing me down. And, and here's what scripture says for us to do. 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a lot of good stuff happening in that one little verse. He is faithful and just Just usually means you get what you deserve, right? So if you sin against God, what what do we deserve? Paul writes, the wages of sin is death. So how is it just for Jesus to forgive us? Because the price of death has already been paid by Jesus on the cross. He is faithful and just. If you confess your sin and repent, you are forgiven. And it's time to move on. If you confess your sin and repent, you are forgiven. And it's time to move on. Some of us have been carrying around these blocks for so long because we're pretty sure that God is still mad at us for what we did. If you confess and repent, he is faithful and just, and you are forgiven, and it's time to move on. So what we need to do is we need to root out the sin. We need to open those doors in our hearts that we really don't want to see what's inside. You know, you've got those rooms in your house where when a company comes over, you kind of just slide a cabinet in front of it because you really don't want anybody to go in that room, right? I don't know if any of you guys watch Friends, but Monica has this room, and her, her apartment is a spotless all the time except for this room, which she keeps locked because she doesn't want anybody to see that really, deep down, she's kind of a messy person, Right? And I think we do the same thing with our lives. We've got these closets. We want people to think that really, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I'm honest and I'm kind and I'm friendly and I'm generous. But we've got these corners in our hearts where we, 
we're really prideful and our lives are really all about me or I, or I, 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 really, I really lie too much. I read something this week that said, I couldn't believe the stat, but maybe it's true. It says the average adult can't talk for more than five minutes without lying. 60% of adults can't talk for more than five minutes without lying. Where does that come from? At some point, we just decided that was okay and so we, we, we allowed ourselves to go on and now we won't even open that door. We... We do things that are destructive to ourselves and destructive to other people, and we shut that door. And if we really want to run the race that we are created to run, we got to open that door. We got to confess and repent and move on. And confession sometimes is something that happens between you and God. Just in your prayer time, you can say, you know, you know confess your sins and lay it all out there. He knows anyway, so you might as well be up front with him. But sometimes confession needs to happen face to face. Sometimes it's not real until you talk to a flesh and blood person. And it's not so that this other person can absolve you like they have some special power. It's so that when you say it out loud to another human being, now it's on the table and I have to deal with it. So maybe, maybe for you, in order for you to run the race that you were created to run, you need to spend some time confessing today. You need to sit down with somebody that you trust and you need to say, listen, I, I need to get this off my chest. I need to confess this and repent so I can move on, so I can lay this weight down. I've been carrying this weight around. I've been, I've been dealing with this messy closet in my life for too long, and it's time to move on. So maybe that's the step you need to take. I don't know if there's anything holding you back in your race to Jesus. Sometimes I think we are convinced that it's God's rules that are holding us back. If it weren't for all these rules that I had to follow all the time, I would feel more free. You ever felt that way? You can be honest. You don't have to nod your head. I can tell. I felt that way. It's, it's all these, these laws and these commands, and if, if it weren't for all of this, I, I think I would feel more free. It's these commands that are holding me back. This is why Jesus simplified it and said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. That, that's the only one you have to remember. And if you feel like God's expectations for you to love him and love others are holding you back, then you're not running towards Jesus. You're running towards something else. Because when you're running towards Jesus, God's expectation and his call on your life to love him and love others sets you free to live a life of peace and joy and purpose. So if you feel like God's expectations are holding you back, maybe you're not running towards Jesus. There's one command, love. If it's not loving, don't do it. If it's not loving and it's a habit in your life, if it's, if it's disrespectful to yourself, to someone in your family, to anyone around you or to God, get it out. Confess, repent, and move on. The, the focus of this passage is not sin. I mean, it feels like that's the focus of what I'm talking about today because I've said the word about 100 times. But that's not the focus of the passage. The focus on the passage is running the race. Fix your eyes on Jesus, run the race with endurance, and if you're finding that difficult, it's because you're carrying something that you were not meant to carry, and it's time to lay it down. So I just want to ask you, are you finding it difficult to run the race, to live the life that you were created for, to move towards Jesus? Maybe it's because you never really gave your life to Christ. You've never done that. You've never said, Jesus, I'm all yours. And you've never been set free from that cage of the power of sin. 
Maybe you have been set free from the cage. The power of sin doesn't have control on you, but you've been carrying some sinful habits for a long time, and they're holding you back. And maybe today is the day you confess and repent and move on from those. Because here's why it's so important that we run to Jesus. Do you know where Jesus is? When you run to Jesus, you're going to find yourself running towards the broken and the oppressed and the poor and the sick because that's where Jesus is. When you, when you run to Jesus, you're going to find yourself running toward those who are lost, who are in darkness, who live in fear and despair and discouragement and depression. You're going to find yourself running to those people because that's where Jesus is. This is why it's so important that we lay down the weight. Jesus has people that he wants us to connect with, that he can bless through us. And if we're carrying all this stuff around, we can't, we can't do it. This is why we pray for one at Sister Road Christian Church. Because we believe praying for one is an act of running towards Jesus. It's saying, I want to be where you are, and I believe where you are is with the people who need you most. I want to be where you are, Jesus. So I'm praying that you give me one chance. You put one person in my life today that needs to see your love and grace through a human being and give me the courage to answer that call when you put it in front of me. If, if you're finding it difficult to pray for one, maybe there's something holding you back. Maybe you're not actually running towards Jesus. You're running towards leisure or success or wealth or something else. Let me encourage you. Lay that stuff down. Confess, repent, move on. If you need to make a decision like that today, I just want to encourage you. We're going we're to have a song here later and at the end of the service. If you decide today is the day I want to be set free from the power of sin, I want you to come up and talk to me. And I, I'll be glad to talk to you about how to give your life to Christ. Maybe today is the day that you need to grab somebody by the elbow and pull them out and say, I, I need to confess something so that I can get it off my chest, repent, and move on. If that needs to happen, I pray that you'll, you'll deal with, with that between you and God right now in this moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm going to ask you just to ask God, hey, God, you, would you show me, is there something in my life that's preventing me from running my race and from running to Jesus? And pray for the courage to do something about it. Would you pray with me?